Well, it's very good to be back in the, what did you say, harness last week, John? It's very good to be back. I, I do enjoy holidays to some extent, but I, I enjoy work more, I do believe. And so when I sat down on Tuesday morning in the office there, I said hello to my books again. Uh, and I must say also uh, thank you so much for all your support over the time of the birth of Joshua. We have been overwhelmed. It has been incredible how excited you guys have been and how God has moved your hearts to uh, be generous towards us with your hospitality and your gifts and your well wishes. We thank you so much. It has uh, been in some ways difficult for us because we have been so far removed from our our families and uh, it's an hour away for both our parents but we have not felt that we have lacked family uh, because you guys have been so so kind and so generous towards us. We truly have uh, a great God who has indeed blessed us with a loving family here at Des Moines Baptist Church and he has moved your hearts to express such Christ-like love for us that it has been uh, very moving for us. So Jill and I would like to thank you and, and particularly thank the Lord for uh, giving us such a, a kind and generous uh, family here at Ramoyne Baptist Church. All right, well, before we look into the God's word, let us uh, speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for your word. It is such a, a blessing and a privilege to have it. And we thank you for this part of scripture that we hear what Jesus thinks of your word, what he thinks of the Old Testament. We pray that this time as we look into what he said that it may indeed encourage us that we may be able to find fresh insights into your word. We may be freshly encouraged to love your word and that we may go out of here built up in the faith and all the more ready to serve you as faithfully as we can. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as humans, I do believe we always like to do away with the laws of God or the laws of men as well. We are resistant to laws in general. This was no less in the household that I grew up in. Uh, My parents gave us different laws around the house that we were expected to be obedient to and some of those laws we tried to resist and we tried to dissolve at different points as we were growing up and some of them did dissolve which was quite pleasing to us well more so particularly to me in some circumstances for example there was the law that 16 was still too young to be behind the wheel of a car my parents didn't believe you should have your driver's license at 16 it should happen at 18 18 is when you're truly an adult and that is the time that you're allowed to get a car license that was in place for my sisters But when I got to 16, suddenly it was okay for me to have a car licence at the age of 16. That law was dissolved as I uh, got to that age as opposed to my older sisters. And then the other law was when you were dating that you weren't supposed to stay out later than 11pm. And that was in, in place for my older sisters. But when I got to the dating age, I really, I don't think I had a curfew. I I could come home and the the only restriction upon my dating privileges was the curfew of the girl that I was dating. And so those laws seemed to dissolve in our household as I came along and they started to be over my head. We as people, we do like to get rid of laws 
and we like to do away with them if we can. And Jesus was accused of doing the same thing. He was a human on the earth and so it was naturally expected that he would be resistant to laws. And so people accused him of being anti-law, of trying to do away with the law of God. And we see that he introduces this in verse 17 as what he is going to speak about. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks now and we're up to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus introduces the topic that he is looking at today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Why did he say that? Unless he truly does think that people are thinking he has come to abolish the law or the prophets. They were thinking that he had come to undermine the law of God and so he is coming out and saying, do not think that I have come to abolish them. And if you read the Gospels, that's something that you might think that he came to do because he does seem to undermine different laws of the law of God. That he, he eats with tax collectors and sinners, that's one of the things that he is accused of doing, and so that he doesn't respect the law of God as much as others by associating with people who break the law, then he surely must want to break the law himself. He also undermines food laws. He says that it's no longer necessary to observe all the food laws of Judaism, and so we as Christians can eat bacon, which I'm quite excited about. I would be uh, quite disappointed if I wasn't allowed to eat bacon, but Jesus declares all foods clean. And so it's seen that he must be anti the law of the Old Testament. And he undermines the sacrificial laws by, uh, by pointing to him as a sacrifice, that there's no longer a need to offer hum- uh, animal sacrifices that there is a different sacrifice that is coming along and of course he says that the way to get into heaven is not by following the law, which is what Judaism taught, it's by faith alone. It's by believing in him that you come to salvation. It's by believing in him that you come to heaven. And so that must mean that he's just pushing aside all the laws of God because now there is only one thing you need to do and that is believe in Jesus Christ and then you can forget about all the law of God. And so it is not surprising that Jesus is thought to be anti the law of God. The technical word is antinomian, nomos being the Greek word for law and anti being against. So he is seen to be an antinomian in that he is against the law of God. And so this particular passage that we're looking at today is Jesus' rebuttal against this idea that he is an antinomian, that he is anti the law of God. And so that's what we're going to look at today. There's four main points that I'm drawing out and I think they come naturally from the four verses that we're looking at today. And I've actually put the four main points in the bulletin this week. Uh, Someone requested a long time ago that I could put my main points in the bulletin uh, so that people could see the sermon outline. And this week I've done so. And if you appreciate that, well, let me know and I might do it again or on a more regular basis. So there's four main points that we're looking at this morning. Why Jesus is not anti-law. Why he is not against the law. And so my first main point is that Jesus is not anti-law because he fulfills the law. And that is given to us in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says up front, I have not come to abolish them. Instead, I've come to fulfill the law 
and the prophets. It's interesting that he doesn't say law and the prophets. He says law or the prophets. He says or the prophets. And I think that's just him using a sort of a rhetorical device there to make you linger over your mind that has he come to be against the law and the prophets? And it makes you think all the prophets. He's, he's going for the entire Old Testament here. Jesus is not against any part of the Old Testament. Instead, he comes to fulfil all of the Old Testament. Now, how does he fulfil the Old Testament? Well, there's multiple ways that he fulfils the Old Testament. Firstly, he fulfils prophecies. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ and he comes along and fulfils those. Some very obvious ones, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Where is Jesus born? He's born in Bethlehem. That the, the, the Messiah, the King, would come from the line of Judah. What line is, is Jesus from? He's from the line of Judah. He fulfils multiple prophecies throughout the Old Testament that are about him but he also fulfills the law's requirements as well. All those laws throughout uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus, all those laws that are put upon the people of God, Jesus is obedient to all of those. He fulfills them. And so we as Christians, we no longer need to fulfill those, those laws because when we believe in Christ, then we automatically have all his obedience to a lot of those laws put to our account and so we no longer need to observe the food laws that are there and the clothing laws and so many of them that are through there because Jesus himself has fulfilled those laws. But he even fulfills a lot of those images that are given to us, those themes and concepts in the laws that uh, that point to him. He's kind of they're like prophecies pointing to him and that's the sacrificial system. The blood of animals never took away sin. Instead that pointed to Jesus being that sacrifice that we needed to take away our sin. And so the law there is in a way prophesying to what needed to come. It's not a direct prophecy that we see like he will be born in Bethlehem. No, but it still is an image there that Jesus then fulfils. And so instead of abolishing the law, Jesus loves the law because it is all about him. And this is an important thing to note, that the whole of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. It's kind of like if you want to get to know someone, you can do it in a number of ways in this day and age, that you can get a photo of someone. And so you can look at them and it may be a black and white photo and so you get some sort of idea of who they are. And then if you want to up it, you get a sort of a colour photo. And then if you really want to up it, you get to a video and you get, so you can see them moving, you may even hear them speak, this kind of thing. And so you get to know the person, but you really haven't got to know them completely. But you get some idea of who they are. And the, the Old Testament is called at times in the New Testament as being a shadow of the real thing. It's pointing to Jesus Christ as the real thing and we as Christians, we can't see Jesus face to face. We don't live in the right age. I sometimes wish I'd been born 2,000 years earlier but we will one day in heaven but at the moment the only way we have access to God and knowledge of God is through what is revealed in his word and that's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament as well. We can learn so much about Jesus Christ through looking into the Old Testament because it is all about Christ. It is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
And so we have to resist any sort of idea as Christians that we can do away with the Old Testament, that we've got the New Testament and the Old Testament is no longer relevant to us because it is so much about Christ. And people have done that in church history. There was an early heretic in the early church, who uh, Marcion, who did away with the complete Old Testament and then got into the New Testament, got his scissors out, chopped out all the bits about the Old Testament in the New Testament. He loved the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had a sort of an affection for him. But he chopped up all bits of the Bible and completely did away with the Old Testament. And then the Anabaptists, who we aren't as Baptists particularly descendant from. They did believe in baptism by immersion. That was one thing we had in common from them. But Baptists aren't descendants from Anabaptists. But the Anabaptists in the 16th century, they, a lot of them, love to do away with the Old Testament as well and say it's no longer relevant to us. We don't need to read it. Does Jesus say that? No. He says, I love the law because it's all about me. It all points to me. The law is fulfilled in me. If I hadn't come, the law would be meaningless because it wouldn't point to anything and it'd be useless there. But because I've come, you can see how it all points to me. And if you want to know me, read your Old Testament. There is so much about me. In fact, it's all pointing to me. So Jesus clearly isn't anti-law because he loves his Old Testament, because it's all about him. That's the first main point. Second main point is that Jesus is not anti-law because he says the law is reliable. He says this in verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. People love to attack the reliability of the Old Testament. It is one thing that scholars, if you go into any theological library and pull volumes off the shelf about a particular book of the Bible, uh, of the Old Testament, they will love to go through and look at which bits are truly in the Bible and which bits are added on later on. Because it's it's, it's so far removed from us now, the, the time that it was written. They think that they can go in and they can work out what was the original source and which bits are editors that have come along and edited around the original words that were there. And so they're constantly chopping and changing. And some of them can go on for pages and pages. And some of them, the, the commentaries, that seems to be all they're concerned with. They aren't concerned with the actual meaning of the book, of, of the words. They're just concerned with trying to work out which bits should be here and which bits have been added. Does Jesus have such an attitude to the Bible? No. He says that Old Testament, none of it, is going, none of it has disappeared and none of it is going to disappear. It is the re- most reliable thing in the universe. He says... I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear. The equivalent of a dot on the top of our eyes or the cross of a T that distinguishes an English letter from an L to being a T. He says it won't get missed. The least squiggle in the law won't disappear. You can trust that all of the Old Testament that you have is reliable and true, that none of it goes missing, that it is all there and that you can trust it. 
that I have preserved it and I will continue to preserve it until the end of the age. Do we love the law as much as Jesus does, down to the last squiggle, down to the last stroke of a pen? So many of us, we decide not to just get rid of letters, not to get the least stroke of a pen out of the law of God. We would like to reject whole words, whole paragraphs, whole doctrines that we don't like. We don't like the blood language there in Leviticus. It's just too gruesome. And that sin equals death. That's just too gruesome for me to understand and it's too harsh. We'll remove that doctrine. We'll remove that section of Leviticus that talks about sexual sins being against God's will, that homosexuality is wrong, that adultery is wrong. Those kinds of things, they shouldn't be forced upon us. Let's remove those bits from the Bible. Where God says in Malachi, I hate divorce. Oh, we don't, we shouldn't be interested in that bit. We can cut that out. That's not part of our Bible. Jesus loved the Lord down to the last stroke of a pen. He didn't reject whole doctrines. He didn't even reject pen strokes. Who are we to reject whole doctrines, whole bits that we don't like, let alone strokes of a pen? Jesus is not anti-law because he says it is completely reliable. Third main point. We've seen first main point was that uh, he sees that it is uh, he is not anti-law because he sees it's all about him. Second main point was that he is not anti-law because he says it's completely reliable. The third main point is that Jesus is not anti-law because he says keep even the least laws. We see this in verse 19, very next verse. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, when you approach different laws, when you have more than one, the obvious thing that you start to do is to weigh them up. You start to see whether some laws are more serious and some laws are less serious. And we do this in our society uh, with the laws that we have. It is much more serious to drink and drive than it is to park illegally. And so the penalty reflects that. We don't drink and drive, but we may be tempted to park illegally. And it's the same with the law of God. The Jews love to have, they'd sit round and have great debates on which laws are more serious and which laws are less serious, which are heavier laws and which are lighter laws of God. And one of the lightest laws that they said was to take the, the, the chicken with the, the young. You know how you're not supposed to, if you, if you go along and you, and you take the eggs and you're not meant to take the bird as well, that was one of the laws of God, they'd say that's one of the least laws, that's sort of low down on the scale uh, compared to some of the other laws of God. And Jesus says the same thing. He's not against weighing up the laws. He's not against saying that some are less serious and some are more serious. And by saying, uh, and we can see that by the way he speaks of the law here in verse 19, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments is kind of assuming that there are least commandments as opposed to greater ones. And one of the classic examples of him talking about this more specifically is Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23:23 we see Jesus clearly saying that some laws are more serious than others. 
Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. He sees tithing as lower down on the scale of seriousness compared to justice, mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus is not against weighing up the laws of God and seeing some as less serious and some as more serious. What he is against is that attitude that when you weigh them up, you then think, the little ones I can get away with. I can break those. And that is the attitude that rises in our hearts. Particularly with society laws and society's laws, we may never be tempted to drink and drive. But in an emergency where there's a no stopping sign, but I need to drop someone out because it's an emergency, we're happy to pull over and stop against that no stopping sign. Or if we're in a real hurry and we just miss the red light, you know, we're almost in the zone before it turns red, then that's okay. But we'd never drink and drive. And so we have this attitude that the less serious ones we can break. And that is what we do with the law of God at times. We think, I won't murder anyone, but I will hate them because that's not as serious. I can get away with that. I'm not going to take an axe to my wife, but I may hate her in the morning when I get up. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I can just see all look over at Jill there. Um, <laughs> yes, we, don't, we start to think that you can break the lesser laws, that it is possible because they're lower down on the scale that it is possible to break them and get away with it. It's not as serious in God's eyes, so he'll look, overlook it. I don't need to worry about that. And that's what the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started to do. They started to almost give the impression that you can break some of those lesser laws. And what does Jesus say? Verse 19, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We have to be very careful about thinking we can break some of the least commandments because they aren't as serious. Jesus is not anti-law because he cares about every law down to the least ones and we should as Christians as well. And my fourth and last main point is that Jesus is not anti-law because he says we must have greater obedience to the law than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. This is in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But how do you keep the law better than the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, the scribes? Because that seems like a hard thing to do. This would have been an amazing statement for Jesus to make at the time of his hearers because there was a saying in Judaism that if two men only were to get into heaven, one would be a Pharisee and the other would be a teacher of the law. They were the only ones that were truly 
up there with their righteousness. They dedicated their whole lives to reading the law of God, debating the law of God and to observing the law of God down to the last detail. You see that in that verse that I read from Matthew 23, 23. They even tithed all their herbs. Do you go and tithe your herbs? Do you look at how many herbs you've got and, and tithe some for God? They were clearly the righteous ones. But Jesus says you have to surpass their righteousness. So how do we do that as Christians? How do we surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Well, some people look at this and they, they say, well, the way a Christian surpasses their righteousness is, of course, by believing in Jesus Christ. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, you get his righteousness, his obedience to the law, imputed onto you. And so, of course, you're then more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because you've got Christ's righteousness. All his observance to the law is now your observance to the law. Well, some commentators think that is the answer, but I'm not so convinced because I think he's more driving at our own personal sanctification here because Jesus talks about our righteousness there in verse 20 and then he goes on for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to explain the law so that people understand it better so they can keep it better. So I don't think he's getting at our own imputed righteousness. I think he's getting at our sanctification, our own personal, gradual improvement in holiness before God. So how do we improve our holiness, our righteousness, more than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Is it by quantity? Do we keep more laws than they were able to keep? See, the the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they went through the entire law and they looked for all the commandments and all the prohibitions and they counted 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions and so you've got just over 600 laws. Are we as Christians meant to keep 550 of those while the Pharisees were only ever able to keep 500? Is that what it's about? It's about quantity, keeping more laws than they were able to keep? Well, I think no. I think Jesus instead is talking about the quality that we keep God's laws. He's talking about that we should look at the laws and examine our own hearts, the attitudes that we have to the law. And that is with the rest of the chapter where he talks about murder. The law says do not murder, but he says do not even hate someone. Look at your heart and see whether you're murdering people in your heart. And so it's about the quality of our sanctification, the quality of our righteousness. Rather than ticking the box which is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tried to do. They tried to see how many of the laws can I complete legally before God. And so they were kind of like the lawyers today, you know, where if you want to get away with as much as possible, you employ, you employ the best lawyers, the most expensive lawyers. And so they will actually help you to be legal in the government's eyes but you can actually get away with breaking some of the laws. Technically, if you actually examined your heart, you would see that you're breaking it. And this is notorious in the tax system, isn't it? You get lawyers there to help you find loopholes so that you are there, you are legal, what you have done is right and true according to the government, but when you examine your heart, are you paying as much tax as you should? Or are your lawyers getting you away with something that may be legal 
but isn't actually the right thing to do. And that is what Jesus is wanting us as Christians to have as an attitude to the law. Not that we're just trying to tick the box for everything that God wants us to do, but that we have a right attitude towards it. Our hearts are in the right place. We aren't doing things begrudgingly. And this is common in Christianity. Some people, they never miss a church service and they never miss a communion service. They never miss the opportunity to put money in the offertory because they know that's what's required. They pray each day, they read their Bible each day because that is what God has said, but all the time that they do it, they're doing it begrudgingly. They aren't doing it out of a love to God. They're doing it because they're wanting to tick the box. They're wanting to be legalistic before God and they're wanting to know that they have done the legal requirement rather than doing what they want to do and doing it out of an attitude of love. See, Jesus wants us to have an attitude that is not about legalism. He wants us to instead look at the law and see what does my loving God want me to do in a loving response to him? Because we as Christians, we don't keep the law to get ourselves into heaven. And if any of you here this morning think that, then you're not a Christian. If you think that by observing the law, that is how you get into heaven, that is not true. It is by believing in Jesus Christ that you get into heaven and then you love the law of God because it is the loving response to a God who has loved you. You love the law of God because it tells you how you can please your God who gave his son for you. He died at the cross for you and so why wouldn't you want to do what pleases him right down to the level of the heart? You aren't like the Pharisees and teachers of the law simply out there doing what God requires of you because it is simply what he requires of you. You're doing it because you love to do it for him. You come to church on Sunday because you love to come to church on Sunday. You pray each day because you love to pray to that God who has saved you. You read your Bible each day because you love to read your Bible each day. You give money at church because you love to give money to the loving God. You don't do it for legalistic reasons because that is what you are required to do. Jesus wants you to examine your heart and see whether you keep his laws lovingly because the Pharisees and teachers of the law didn't. They kept them because they were being legalistic and trying to get away with the minimum that was required. So Jesus is clearly not anti-law. In fact, he defends it from four ways that the the law commonly comes under their attack. People often attack the law by claiming it's not about Christ. But Jesus says, I'm not anti-law, it's all about me, so I love it dearly. Some attack the law by claiming it may be changed, it may be altered, that some bits of it uh, we can disregard. But Jesus says, I love the law because it is reliable down to the least stroke of a pen. Some attack the law by claiming that some laws may be relaxed, that we can weigh them up and then break the least ones. Jesus says, I am not anti-law because I care about even the least laws. Some attack the law by observing it as the minimum required and they observe it with the wrong attitude. Jesus says, I'm not anti-law because I want you to keep it from the heart that your quality of keeping the law is greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You Christians 
Do you love the law? Do you love the Old Testament as much as Jesus did? Do you love the law because it tells you more about Jesus Christ? Do you love to look into the Old Testament because you see your Saviour there? You read passages like Isaiah 53 and Jesus in that role of the suffering servant is so clearly portrayed there offering himself for the sins of his people. It tells you something about Jesus Christ in a way that you don't get in the New Testament. That has to be one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture for me, Isaiah 53, not in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Do you love the law's reliability and trust it down to the last letter? Or do you doubt different bits of it and wish that they weren't there? Do you love the law and try to keep the very least of its commands? Or do you disregard some and think that they aren't as serious so you can disregard them? Do you keep the law with the right attitude? Are you like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and simply keep it to be legalistic before God or do you keep his law because you love to keep it? Your heart responds to the law with loving devotion to God. Jesus loves the law. He is not antinomian. He is not anti-law. And if you are a Christian, you should love the law of God too. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for the law and the prophets and the way we can learn so much about Jesus Christ through them. We can understand him so much more through having the law and the prophets. Help us to never disregard them, to minimise them, but instead help us to love them day by day, to love to read them because we see Jesus Christ there, love to read them because we know they are reliable and we can trust them, love to keep the least of the laws. And Lord, we pray that our righteousness may indeed surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because we do not keep them for legalistic reasons, but we keep the law because it pleases you to see us keeping them and we love to please you in whatever way we can. Amen.